Hey everyone and welcome to Defecto. This is a podcast from the perspective of two students who are currently trying to survive the IB. I'm Drui. And I'm Amelia. And today, instead of writing up and submitting our extended essays, we're going to be talking about prosthetics. So, before we talk about prosthetics, let's think a bit about why we need them. So, there are two main reasons for requiring a prosthetic limb, and these are um, congenital limb defects and amputations. So, a congenital limb defect occurs when an arm or a leg doesn't form properly in the uterus during pregnancy. Um, These defects present as complete or partial absence of limbs, uh, failure of a limb to kind of separate, for example, in fingers and toes, over an undergrowth of a limb, duplication where you might get like six fingers or six toes, for example, um, and amniotic band syndrome. Now, amniotic band syndrome is caused by the early rupture of the amniotic sac, which is basically the kind of almost bag that protects the baby and contains the amniotic fluid. And when this bursts, it results in bands which can become entangled around the fetus's extremities, such as toes, uh, feet, causing them to kind of, well, causing limiting the growth of them. So whilst the exact cause of this condition is unknown, we think that there are some factors that may increase the chances of a child being born with a limb defect. For example, exposure to certain viruses or chemicals during pregnancy, as well as taking specific medications. So I'm going to talk briefly about one of these medications, and it's time for a bit of IB chemistry here. So one of them is called thalidomide. Now, thalidomide has two optical isomers, and this basically means that there are two versions of the same molecule, but one group of atoms is positioned differently between the two. And we call these isomers enantiomers of each other. Whilst one enantiomer uh, is an effective sedative, the other is what we call teratogenic. And this means that it disturbs the development of an embryo or a fetus. Whilst it is possible to separate these isomers and create separate drugs for each of the enantiomers, the body will just convert the drug between the two states again, meaning that separating the drugs is pointless. However, when thalidomide was produced in the 1950s to treat morning sickness, we had no idea of the dangers of it. As a result, very sadly, we had a thalidomide crisis. As morning sickness usually occurred around the time the fetus' limbs began to develop, many children were born with deformed or missing limbs. Whilst this drug is thankfully no longer used in Pregnant, uh, used during pregnancy, it is one example of how a medication can cause congenital limb defects. Although a potential positive to this crisis is that it has made us rethink the way that we test drugs, and as a result of the thalidomide, of the thalidomide crisis, drugs are put under a lot more scrutiny and a lot more testing before they're released to the public. I think that's kind of crazy to think about, especially since like when we were taught enantiomers in chemistry, we were told that, you know, kind of think of it as your left and right hand. So, you know, mirror images, non-superimposable mirror images of each other. And I think it's really crazy to think that, like, let's say, for example, you know, your left hand can do very good things for you, whereas your right hand can do completely opposite things. And that's just really crazy to think about. 
But one other thing that can lead to prosthetics is amputations. So just for a definition to start with, amputations is the surgical removal of part of your body, for instance your arm or your leg. So it's usually in response to things like trauma, surgery and medical illnesses. So one example is gangrene, which is the death of body tissue due to a lack of blood flow or due to a bacterial infection. So what happens if you have no blood in part of your body? Well, your blood does two main things. One is it carries things that you need, and the other is that it takes away the things that you don't need. So for example, it brings oxygen to you while taking away waste in the form of carbon dioxide. So if you have a bacterial infection, well, they take over this process, and that means that you won't get these necessary processes that you need and that might mean the death of cells and therefore leading to the death of body tissue. Another example of what would happen, uh, one of the causes of gangrene would be trauma. So for example, if you get into a car crash resulting in an open wound, you might get a bacterial infection and this would also cause gangrene. It's important to note, however, that gangrene is the final step. Um, This death of body tissue and all of these um, infections first manifest as pain and ulcers. So moving on to the standard practice for amputations in the United Kingdom, um, you firstly would get an assessment prior to surgery to determine which parts you would need amputated. Because for example, you Actually, if you amputate a whole limb, that's quite rare. Usually, you would only try and amputate the parts of limbs that are affected in order to make sure that this infection or you know these symptoms or illnesses don't spread further. And that's why we do amputations. We don't do it just to you know for any reason. We just do ampu- We do amputations in order to help people um, and save lives before these infections can develop into even worse things. So a small digression here. What we p- do before amputations is actually quite similar to what you need to do before an actual surgery because for example orthopedic surgeons need to get the okay from a cardiac surgeon that the patient can take the the, the patient's heart can take the operation before they go on with this orthopedic surgeon so that's actually quite a similar process to what happens during an amputation so your doctor will check you for your nutrition your cardiovascular um, levels as well as your respiratory like system and whether there are anything that might cause problems in the future with this amputation There's also a psychological assessment because amputations are quite a complex and life-changing process and because doctors understand that, they want to make sure that this process is as smooth as possible. So while we won't go into the specifics of amputation here, you might want to look it up especially if it affects you or a relative because it's an interesting process and definitely one that can save a lot of lives. However, one impact we thought we'd talk about is phantom limb syndrome. Yeah, phantom limb syndrome is surprisingly common and it is experienced by an estimated 60 to 80% of amputees. And this is basically where an amputee can feel sensations in their amputated limb. Um, So the condition was first described by surgeon Ambrose Paré in the 16th century when he was operating on wounded soldiers. Although we're still unsure of why this phenomenon occurs, One theory is that it is a result of neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is the theory that our neural pathways are malleable, that our brain can adapt to changes. There is so much evidence supporting this. For example, and a bit of a digression here, but one girl who had an entire hemisphere of her brain removed to treat epilepsy is still able to function and lead a normal life.
so this is really quite an astonishing example of just how malleable the brain is and the brain's ability to adapt and rewire itself. But back to phantom limbs. A neuroscientist called Ramachandran proposed a neural template that we have from birth. This is like a map describing which areas are supposed to be connected to each other. This could explain why some people can still feel phantom sensations even if they were born without a limb. When a limb is lost, the part of the map responsible for this limb becomes inactive and so the neighbouring regions spill out to kind of fill the void. For example, if an arm is missing, neurons from the face area may move into the inactive brain region. When a part of the face is touched, therefore, this sensation is also felt in the amputated arm. As cool as it sounds, phantom limbs can often be painful, and treatment is needed to manage this pain. One such treatment is mirror box therapy, a, a simple but incredibly powerful therapy in which the patient just places their existing limb inside a box with a mirror so that the reflection appears to be their missing limb. Although we're not sure why this works, it can be used effectively to manage pain in patients with phantom limb syndrome. Yeah, I think that also kind of speaks to the fact of how powerful our vision is. Because I imagine if you don't have a limb, but you put it in a mirror so that it simulates one, I think that sensation is actually quite powerful and our vision can really affect us. So talking more about what happens after an amputation, in addition to the um, not-so-nice side effects like um, phantom limb syndrome but also other syndromes, we, you will also have access to a physiotherapist for your post-operative care and with that you will also get a prosthesis in some cases, which links into our main topic for today after 10 minutes of digression, which is prosthetics. So we thought we'd start by talking about where we're at with prosthetics. Actually, prosthetic limbs aren't suitable for everybody just because of all the implications involved in it. For example, the physiotherapy and the rehabilitation involved. So in addition, most amputations are not of the whole limb, so in some cases, prosthetics might not be necessary. However, they are an option for some people. And the general idea of how they work is that they detect muscle signals in the part where that got amputated, which is called a stump. So they detect muscle signals in the stump and behave like a limb would, controlled by the brain and other interfaces. Yeah, so um, looking at kind of the four main types of prosthetics, so you have the transhumeral prosthesis, which replaces an arm missing above the elbow, the transtibial prosthesis, which replaces a leg missing below the knee, which allows the patient to retain the use of their knee, the transfemoral prosthesis, which replaces the leg above the knee, and the transradial prosthesis, which replaces the arm below the elbow. Nowadays, prosthetic limbs have been designed to be light and strong, typically made of materials such as carbon fibre. They are therefore primarily made for function over aesthetics. However, there exist some prosthetics called cosmesis, which are designed to look as realistic as possible. The skin tone is matched to the individual and details can be added with incredible precision. For example, um, you can have hairs and freckles added and even fingerprints to prosthetic hands. But we've touched on this briefly, but kind of how are prosthetic limbs controlled? So there are three main types of control. 
which are body-powered, externally-powered, and myoelectric prosthetics. So body-powered prosthetics have cables connected from the limb to elsewhere in the body. For example, a prosthetic arm might be connected to a healthy shoulder, and so movements of this shoulder can control the prosthetic movements. In externally-powered prosthetics, the uh, limb is powered by a motor, um, the, again, the patients can control the use of this limb through switches or buttons connected to other parts of the body. And perhaps the coolest type of prosthetic is the myogenic prosthetic. And this is where the limb effectively listens to kind of muscles in the remaining limb. So when muscles contract, they generate small electrical signals, which are detected by electrodes placed on the surface of the skin. And these electrodes allow the um, wearer to control their limb. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the main types of prosthetics that we have at the moment. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting as well the way that um, you structured it because I noticed like the three of them are kind of increasingly trying to simulate the experience of having a normal limb, you know, that you're born with or that you would be a proper insert air quotes here, a proper biological limb. So um, I think that's quite interesting and it links in well to where we're going with prosthetics in the future because I think most of what research is focusing on is really trying to simulate the experience of having an actual limb in order to get rid of all the unpleasant symptoms like phantom limb syndrome as we talked about previously. So first of all, just as a um, another important aspect, I just wanted to briefly touch on the fact that one of the biggest developments in prosthetics at the moment is that we're improving accessibility with it. So I don't know about you, but I've actually never seen prosthetics in real life. And even while living in Malaysia, where I come from for most of my life, and even coming to the UK, it's just not something that you see very often, even though there are people that need it. And I have definitely seen amputees. So I think something that's quite interesting and definitely really exciting is that companies are trying to improve accessibility so for example we're getting 3d printed prosthetics in poorer regions and also for children and these are both really beneficial in the former case because these people don't necessarily have access to technology and in the latter case because people born with congenital limb defects might still be able to gain access to these 3d printed prosthetics which i think is a really nice development so one of the difficulties with prosthetics, and as Amelia previously described, I don't know about you, but it sounded to me like a lot of physics and wires and not really like the biological processes that we're really comfortable with as humans, especially when we refer to the things that, you know, are part of us. So I think one main thing to point out is that prosthetics don't usually have that feedback loop from neurons. So for example, when you walk on the street and you walk into a puddle, your leg knows that you've walked into a puddle, right? And then therefore it sends that signal to your brain and it says, look, this thing is slightly different. We might want to take our leg out of this as soon as possible. But in if the, you have prosthetics, you don't really have that sensory information. So therefore, you wouldn't actually know that you're in a puddle. And that's one of the big problems with prosthetics, that you no longer have that feedback loop. So the echo, okay, my French is terrible. I haven't spoken in years, so I apologize for my pronunciation. But the Ecole Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne, 
That was terrible. I'm so sorry. Um, but the company are currently developing neuroprosthetics. So what they're doing is they're adding sensors and connecting these to the existing neurons on your stump. So what this means is that actually they're able to simulate these nervous sensations, which actually means that these prosthetics feel a lot more like they're part of you. And Although there were only two trials, both reported that there was no phantom pain, which is a really exciting development. And this is really new technology as well. So this was about last year or around this year. And that means that this is a really exciting development that we can be looking forward to in the future. In addition, a really, really recent development, like just six months ago, found um, was working on this other form of prosthetics called neuro musculoskeletal prosthetics. So as the name suggests, neuro for neurons, musculo for muscles and skeletal for skeletons. The benefits of this is that it's mind controlled. So it's actually like you have that limb there. And it's also self-contained. So no batteries, no need for charging. Everything is within the prosthesis. It's also safe in the long term. So it's not restricted and it doesn't have to be controlled by outside influences like scientists. The most important thing, I think, is the fact that this prosthetics has been adding touch. So it actually simulates nerves as well. And the researchers did this by adding force sensors for contact and pressure. So that's like, you know, the differences between walking on concrete and walking on sand. And th these new neuromusculoskeletal prosthetics can actually sense that difference, which I think is really cool because it means that patients can feel that what they're touching, they can feel the characteristics, and they can even feel how hard they're pressing. So in summary, I think what all this shows is that in the future, currently, our development is mostly moving towards simulating the limb. So it's less like a prosthetic and more of an actual thing that you are used to and that enables you to, you know, do the things that we all take for granted, which makes for an enhanced user experience. We thought we would also take the opportunity to take talk about something that's a bit um, a bit out of the box in the sense that we thought we'd talk about science fiction. So personally, I really like science fiction. I think it's one of my favorite genres to read just because I think I'm really interested in science, but also science fiction is kind of, you know, the limits in science nowadays are technology, resources, money, all those things. But in science fiction, the only limit is your imagination. And I think it's really cool to see how certain things in science fiction have been brought into reality. So as one example, Marissa Mayer's Cinder, which is part of the Lunar Chronicles, a fairy retelling of Cinderella, talks about a cyborg. So the author said that the idea stemmed from a thought she had of what if Cinderella didn't just lose her shoe, but she lost her entire foot on the stairs. What would that look like? So what happened was she, she dreamt of this protagonist called Cinder, who is a cyborg who has a prosthetic leg, and she also has prosthetic implants. And the best thing for Cinder is that she's also immune to a mysterious disease. So I think overall, this kind of just represents how science fiction exacerbates the current technology. So it really, for me, shows where we could go in the future and how this idea of science fiction is future, future technology that just hasn't happened yet. But that's probably a tad unrealistic at this moment, so I don't think we're going to see cyborgs walking around anytime soon. So some perhaps more realistic examples is one, Star Wars, which by the way, I have never watched. I, I know I'm a disgrace, but I've never watched Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so 
feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Luke Skywalker's lost hand from fighting his father, that's also an example of prosthetics. So this was downplayed because of the shock of the reveal of Luke, I am your father, and it was never mentioned again. But, and I think it's also kind of realistic to do that in film because, you know, with film, if you have an actor that doesn't have prosthetics, it's a bit hard to kind of simulate that. But it was definitely an element of Star Wars. And in others, um, there were also other examples. So Captain America's Winter Soldier, which is another movie that I've not watched. I've not watched any Marvel films, so I'm, I, I am a true disgrace to the film industry. But in any case, um, so the Winter Soldier in Captain America, so he had a robotic arm as well after he was injured and his left arm was amputated. And that's just another example of prosthetics in science fiction where his arm worked really, really well. So I think both these examples have an emphasis on substitution that is just as good as the original and I think that really parallels where we're trying to go with um, prosthetics at the moment. It's not really substitution at all, they've all chosen to use prosthetics as limitless technology. And I think that really ties in nicely to how we don't believe how amputations is something you should be ashamed of or how prosthetics are inferior because they're just methods that we're trying to use to kind of give these people who are disadvantaged not because they wanted to but because they're disadvantaged because they don't have a choice. And these are one of the ways in which we might be able to help them to actually you know, be able to do the things that they might not otherwise be able to do. And therefore I think that's one of the great things about all these developments. So, yeah, just to reiterate, Luke Skywalker's hand is basically the same as his. So, of course, this might be due to limits in, you know, all the simulations, in the video editing, and how, you know, just the fact that having the actual limb meant that it was easier for the film to be recorded. But I think it also represents quite nicely the end goal of prosthetics today, where we actually want to be able to simulate these user experiences. Yeah, so that ties really nicely into of where we're going in the future with prosthetics and we've talked a bit about this already with kind of really really current technologies um and there's so many projects currently working on increasing subtlety and like GE said just kind of making the limb a part of you so it's just kind of a substitution as opposed to kind of like anything less um so as I said, there's loads of examples that you can look through and I really recommend that you do because it's so interesting. But here are a few that I've come across recently. So one of them is um, using ultrasound. This builds on the idea of myogenic limbs that I mentioned before. Um, so as we saw, the electrodes uh, on the skin's surface detect muscle contractions in the remaining limb. However, the electrodes cannot differentiate between signals controlling, for example, different fingers, where muscles are deeper in the tissue or overlying one another. So to detect these subtleties, researchers are working on using ultrasound technology to kind of see which specific muscles are moving and hence control um, muscles with like more kind of subtlety and more precision. And so this technology is currently working but at the moment you have to kind of be hooked up to a computer and an ultrasound machine so they're currently working on making this more compact and just fitting all into the prosthetic limb and the last one that I'm going to talk about is sort of the same idea as what you talked about earlier with this kind of brain controlled prosthetics where the aim is to allow patients to feel 
um, like sensations as well as just control their limb. So as you mentioned, these are directly connected to nerves, muscles and skeletons. And but however, all electronics are contained within the prosthetic. So it's kind of very neat and all encompassed. Um, and whilst this technology does currently exist, researchers are currently working on creating kind of neural interfaces that allow the brain to kind of process large amounts of artificial information um, so that this experience becomes kind of effortless and just natural as if it were just your normal hand. Yeah, I think a super cool thing is like this intersection of all the sciences and I think that comes across particularly strongly in prosthetics where you don't have just the biomedical people kind of saying well this is what we need this is the biology behind it or the chemistry people saying oh well these are the chemicals that interact within the body or in the example of thalidomide before how this might change things it's also all the physicists and the engineers saying well this is how we put our ideas into reality so while we're both like intending to be medics hopefully if we manage to you know fingers crossed but while we're both in that direction I also think it's really important to also think about the intersection of science and physics as well as I think even though personally I absolutely hate force and electricity might be from the fact that those are also my worst topics but I really just find them really boring but I think they're really important to consider because if you didn't have these things then you wouldn't be able to to construct all these cool ideas and bring them into reality so I think that also kind of like summarizes our whole episode where even though prosthetics might not be directly applicable to everyone out there it represents these things in technology that we're currently developing and the limits of our imagination and how that ties into science fiction okay yeah so as you said that kind of summarizes what we're talking about today and just I think it's so important to notice the intersection between all science disciplines here and how actually they all work together to create a better world and better medicine and treatment for us so that's all for today thank you so much for listening for now bye